But Yahweh is going to give him three last commands. Three last commands. Yahweh said to him, go back the way that you came. Head for the desert of Damascus. That's all the way up in the red there with Aram. Go and anoint Hazel, king over Syria. You must anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Melhon to take your place as prophet. Jehu will kill anyone who escaped Hazel's sword. And Elisha will kill anyone who escaped Jehu's sword. I still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed the images of him. So this is what God says. Oi, you're going to go all the way north to Damascus and you're going to anoint Hazel as the next king. Now what we're going to find out later is Hazel is a servant to Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram. And what God is commanding is that you're going to go up there and make the servant the next king of Aram. And then you go down to Israel and you anoint Jehu, who is a general in Ahab's army, to be the king that will replace Ahab. And then you can find your replacement, Elisha, in Judah. And you can train him to replace you, and then I'll let you quit. But, just to let you know, you're not alone. I never intended this battle to be an event. I intended this battle to be a process. And that's the same message God gives to us. Just like conception is an event that leads to nine months of pregnancy, so his birth is an event that leads to an entire lifetime of raising a kid. And this is usually what God does. Your conversion is an event that leads to a process. And usually mountaintop experiences are events that lead to process. And God doesn't usually work in the events. He shows up in the events and does amazing things, But usually the real long-term amazing change and transformation does not happen in the events. It happens in the process. And so he's letting him know this is a process. This is a process that begins with you. It will continue with Hazel. It will continue with Jehu. It will continue with Elisha. And then we'll find out later. It will continue with Joash. It will continue with Josiah. It will continue with Ezra and Nehemiah and Jesus and on and on and on and on as we go through. But he also lets them know that you're not alone. I'm going to give you three more men who will join you as leaders. And not only that, there are 7,000 people. Now, most likely you probably shouldn't interpret the number 7,000 as literal. It might be just a hyperbolic number of complete. But there are just many, like as a multiple of seven. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. To not take the number literally, like when Jesus says, you should forgive them seven times seven, or 70 times seven. So you do all the math, and you're like, okay, once I hit that number, I'm done, according to Jesus. What he meant was completely, until there's no more need for forgiveness. And that's what God is saying, is that there's a complete number of people who still obey me. You are not alone. Nor is this journey. You can quit, but you can't quit now. And those are God's commands to Elijah. Once again, there's no obedience here. The word obedience is not here. So Elijah said to him, so he said, So Elijah, verse 21, went back and took a pair of oxen. Oh, sorry, I just skipped a whole bunch of verses. Verse 19. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. 
He was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen, and he was near the 12th pair. And Elijah passed by him and threw his robe on him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. So Elijah goes to Elisha, and notice it says that he walked by him. Like, he doesn't even stop. It's a drive-by robing. Okay? He just walks by and throws his robe on him and just keeps walking. Now, that should give you a mental image of what's happening here. Like, if your pastor's like, hey, I want to be discipled by you, pastor. And the pastor's like, great. He takes his Bible, walks by and throws it at you and goes, there you are. And just keeps going. Like, it's like, what the heck? But do you notice anything here? It's out of order. God told him to go to Hazel, then Jehu. He's supposed to go all the way north past Jezebel to Damascus, come back into the heart of Jezebel's territory, anoint Jehu, and then go south to Elisha. And Elijah's response is, not going to do that. I'm just going to go to Judah. And what you will find as we keep reading, he never anoints Hazel or Jehu. That's called blatant disobedience to a direct command of Yahweh. And what happens to kings and prophets when they directly disobey God? They die. Now you're like, what? That's not the Bible I read. Wait a minute. Okay? We'll come back to that. It could be that he's like just wanting to get this done and over with. Or it could be a test of Elisha to see if Elisha knows what's going on. Are you intelligent enough to figure out what's going on? It's like giving somebody an entrance test. You really want to be a part of this? Then take this test. Oh, you got a D. Never mind. <laughs> I don't want to hire you. That's too much training. Okay. Oh, you got an A. Okay, that, you're worthy of being hired here. Okay. Some companies do that. And, so, and some colleges do that. So it could be that he's testing him. Can you figure out what's going on? Do you know who I am? Do you know what the robe represents as a prophet? Do you realize what just happened to you when I threw this on your shoulder? And Elisha immediately figures it out. So he left his oxen, ran after Elijah. And he said, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will follow you. Elisha says, I am committed to you, 100%. Let me just at least say goodbye like you're, you're walking still. Please just pause for a moment. Some people brought up like, well, when Jesus said, come follow me, and they, Jesus like, is like, hey, let me just say goodbye to my parents. And Jesus said, no, 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 we don't have time for that. Well, they're like, well, wait a minute, why does he have time for that here? Because the difference is the guy who said that wasn't saying, let me just run back home and say goodbye to my parents. The idea is say goodbye as, let me wait until my dad dies, and then when he dies, then I can bury him and get his inheritance, and then I'll follow you. But if I leave my dad now, he might disown me and I won't get the inheritance. And then all I have is you. But if I have my inheritance and you, that's a win-win. And that's basically what God is addressing. Jesus was addressing. Here, Elijah's committed. He's just saying, like, literally, just let me just say goodbye. And then I will be back, like, in minutes. And Elijah basically says, go ahead and do whatever you think. He says, I will follow you, Elijah. And said to him, go back indeed. What have I done to you? Now, that's a weird thing to say to him. Like, what have I done to you? Um, he didn't accuse you of anything, Elijah. It could be that he's asking, like, do you realize what I've just done to you? Do you have any idea what's coming? You're so excited and on fire to be a prophet. 
But do you have any idea what that means? Because I know that you haven't read the prophetic books yet because they haven't been written yet. But when you read them, they are the absolute most miserably depressed people that humans have ever seen. Being a prophet is depressing. Being a man or a woman who speaks a message to a people who are idolatrous and murderous and politically corrupt, who never listen to you and attempt multiple assassination attempts on you and ignore you completely all the time, and you see very little fruit in your entire life, and then they're wiped out by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, it's absolutely depressing. One of the most depressing things is when God says, who will go? And Isaiah is like, here I am, send me. And he says, what should I do? And God says, preach a message to a people that will never respond and never listen to you, never understand, and never come back. And Isaiah is like, how long should I do that? until everything is burned down and destroyed in the whole land of Judah. Yay, sign me up. (laughs) That's what Elijah is basically saying. Like, you have no idea. One of the reasons that Christians kind of lose their zeal and passion at their first is because you kind of realize that following Christ is a lifetime journey. And it doesn't mean that you can't have passion and zeal for God throughout your entire life. It's just sometimes you can't sustain that cheerleader-like passion that you originally had. And so that's what he's saying to them. Is Elijah's words accurate? Yes. But are they really true to Elijah and him? Don't know. He's a completely different person. He might be able to sustain it. He might be different. Just because one prophet gets depressed and wants to quit doesn't mean that's true of all prophets. And so his his statement is very accurate, but maybe not accurately universal to everybody. So knows Elisha's commitment. Elisha went back. He took a pair of his oxen, slaughtered them. He cooked the meat over the fire, and he made by burning the harnesses of the yoke. And he gave the people the meat, and he ate them. And then he got up and followed Elisha and became an assistant. Elisha is a man of nobility and wealth. If you have 12 pair of oxen, you are extremely wealthy. This is a wealthy, affluent man. And he's working his fields, he's driving 12 pairs. That is both a number to communicate his wealth, as well as symbolic number that he's going to lead the 12 tribes of Israel as a prophet. Not only is he driving the 12 oxen to plow a field of crops for fruit, He is going to become the new prophet that will drive the Israelites to plow them for the harvest of fruit, spiritual life. And then just as he now sacrifices, look, if you burn your farm equipment, which is extremely expensive, and kill some of your cattle, which are expensive, and sacrifice them, you're leaving everything behind. It's going to be very hard to financially recover from that when you say, oh, changed my mind, don't really want to be a prophet anymore. That shows that he's completely sold out to God. And not only that, he provides the meat for the people. And he distributes it to everybody in his village, which foreshadows that he's going to have a ministry to the people. If you've noticed so far with Elijah, Elijah didn't really have a ministry to the people. Yes, a whole group of people ended up repenting when they saw Mount Carmel, but he really doesn't minister to the people. He spent three years out of the land with a widow. That's not a huge audience. That's your only congregation, is a woman and her child. And then when he came back to the land, he directly faced off with Ahab and the prophets. The people converting was just 
an indirect result. But when you read Elisha's life, he's going to be right there in the mix with all the people. He's going to constantly be working and ministering to them day in and day out and day out and specifically addressing them. And so this foreshadows what is coming with the way that he will do things differently. In this way, Elisha becomes like a Joshua. See, the Moses theme is still continuing. And this is what you need to understand now. The Moses theme is continuing because Moses also disobeyed a direct command from God. He was told to speak to the rock and stay struck it twice. And notice in that way, Moses was also trying to recreate a past experience. Hey, God told me to strike the rock one time back then, and it worked. But now God is telling me to speak to it. But I'm so frustrated with these people and I'm so done with them. I'm going to recreate the circumstances that happened last time to try to produce the same event. But this time I'm going to do it twice for good measure. And God says, no, 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 no. You try to recreate the circumstances to get me to do something that doesn't work. And because you directly disobeyed me, you are now going to die outside the promised land. So now Elijah's continuing the Moses theme. And it's almost like, okay, you're going to be Moses all the way down to the disobedience. You are trying to recreate circumstances too, just like Moses did. And now you're directly disobeying God, just like Moses did. And so in that way, he is Moses right down to the end. Now, what you should expect now is that Elijah will die. But before he dies, he has to pass the mantle off to the next guy, who is Elisha, just like Moses passed the mantle off to the next guy, who is Joshua. And this is what you you need to understand, is this theme is continuing. And so two things are happening here. One, you're seeing the absolute failure of Elijah as a prophet, just like all men and women ultimately fail because we're all sinners and falling short of the glory of God. But the other thing you're seeing is, you're seeing this mantle now being passed to the next guy. And God is not going to allow the ministry to finish and end just because one guy wants to quit. And same thing with Moses. And so he's going to continue this theme where he's going to die outside the land as well. And that's what you should expect. Now here's the other thing. Did Moses immediately die? His death was delayed, and so will Elijah's. This is what we now... Now, the narration literally pauses and moves away from Elijah. And Elijah is no longer prominent in the story anymore. He will pop up briefly one more time later in the story, and it's very brief. It's almost like God will not allow him to have center stage anymore. If you directly disobey God and say, I quit, and I'm not going to do what you say, I'm going to immediately find my replacement, and I'm going to do it as lackluster as possible, then God is not going to give you center stage anymore. And so the narration moves to the next stories, and it's going to delay it. But in the back of your head, you're going to be wondering, like, but what's going to happen to Elijah? What's going to happen to Elijah? What's going to happen to Elijah? But the other thing that you must remember, too, is, that every bad thing that Ahab is now going to do is Elijah's fault. Ahab's got a lot of evil left in him. And Jezebel does too. And if Elijah had immediately gone to Damascus and anointed Hazel, and then immediately gone to and made Jehu king in Israel, there would be no more Ahab left. And so everything for the rest of this book is now Elijah's fault. Because he didn't stop Ahab. 
And there is nobody stopping Ahab because he didn't anoint them. And so not only are you wondering in the back of your mind what's going to happen to them, now you're literally seeing everything fall apart because Elijah is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And everything he accomplished is going to be undone. And Ahab's going to hurt even more people because Elijah didn't stop him. And that's what we're going to see in the rest of this book is the fallout of disobedience. We often just think like, yeah, but I just disobeyed or I didn't want to do that. But you have no idea what the fallout is as it ripples through people's lives. When you say, I'm too scared or I don't want to do that or I don't have time for that. You have no idea what it's doing. And so these are the two things you should keep in the back of your head as we go through. The fallout because of Elijah's disobedience and the question of what is going to happen to Elijah when we come back to him. Keith Bodner, still, it should be noted that Elisha has the most challenging task of the three, Hazel and Jehu, as the ones he is supposed to kill are the most difficult and elusive targets. Who would already have escaped from King Hazel and Jehu, and even more so than when one considers the personalities of these future kings? So God basically commands that everybody who escapes Hazel's sword, Jehu will get. And everybody who escapes Jehu's sword, Elisha will get. And the implication is Elisha is going to be the cleanup crew. If we glance ahead in the story, Hazel is a fearsome leader who does not shrink from regicide. Regicide is when you kill your own king. And proceeds to rip open pregnant women. For his part, Jehu is a manacle madman chariot driver who deceptively lures Baal worshippers to their deaths and turns the pallet place into a latrine after piling the heads of Ahab's descendants at the gate of Jezreel, that is. For Elisha to kill the escapees of these two would be quite a feat, to say the least. The immediate effect of this introduction, whereby Elisha is the third member of the daunting triumvirate, is that he is presented as a rather imposing figure, even before the reader has officially met him, although it is poised to change in the next episode. So Elijah is going to have an incredible ministry of grace to his people, but he's also going to be a violent warrior in the hand of God. And that's the ministry of Elisha that's going to be coming.